here she's in the room welcome joyce we're so Hello. happy to have you here okay. joyce dewitt so now does that mean you can hear me yes, yes. Uh, okay. so excited to have you joyce dewitt oh you're very dear um i've never done um one of these on-camera livey zoomy things before um i do meditations online but only they talk i don't say anything or have to be on so this is like i'm sorry about the microphone thingy this That's is okay. a new planet for me that's that's all right, Joyce. We've been talking about you while you weren't in the room. All all good things because we all <laughs> adore you, and um, me in particular. I absolutely adore you, and um, you were such a big part of my uh, my early teen years watching Three's Company. And I, I, I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to make you blush. I had the biggest crush on Janet. And um, I, I always, uh, yeah, always loved, loved uh, your portrayal and, and your your natural comedy and just these eyes. Joyce, your eyes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. How darling. We um, love you. And thank you. It's, that's very sweet. Um, it's interesting. The number of young adults that I interact with or some re meet like on the street in New York or whatever, um, who were teenagers during the time of Three's Company being a prime time. And that's a very interesting time of life. The things that you fall in love with, that you feel deeply in your heart, you hold that forever. You know, those it's like your first crush, your first. So the number of people that I've had the pleasure of encountering who fell in love with the show in their teen years it's so dear. It's so sweet. And the kindness and affection that y'all have for those characters, you transfer to us, whether we deserve it or not, but you give us that love and affection and intimacy. And it's a great gift. It's a gift that you never know when it's going to happen. You come up out of the subway in New York and you're just rushing, rushing to a meeting. And all of a sudden there's this wonderful experience. I actually had one earlier today and I'm sorry about the visual thingy-majigger, and, and being late. Um, I'm on Mountain Time, and I thought I was supposed to join you all at 4 o'clock Mountain. It turns out I was supposed to join you at 2 o'clock o'clock Mountain, 4 o'clock Eastern. And I'm pesky time zones. And I'm usually really, really good about it because I live in Mountain Time, and that's so rare that it's always a process of me having to translate what is the time for me that is the time for them. And today I just so royally screwed up. But earlier today, um, I was trying to test the computer hookup and sound and visual and all that stuff. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. So I called and talked to the Geek Squad. And this delicious young man in um, Panama took my call. And we were on the phone for about an hour while he, I mean, I'm so computer and internet illiterate. One question led to another, and he was so delicious. He was so willing to help. <laughs> and, you know, he would almost think of things for me to ask before I came up with asking them. So we're on the phone for about an hour, and then he's showing me how to get into this circumstance today. And I've forgotten what it said, participant or something. And I said, am I supposed to type my name into that blanky space? And he said, yeah. So I started typing it, and he said, I don't know if this is a big public thing or just a board meeting or something. You might want to use your whole name. And I said, oh, I already typed it in. And so he looks and he goes, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. We've become friends over this hour. And he asked if I was that person from Three's Company. And I said, yes. And he like just was so deliciously overwhelmed. He was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it was during the high school years that uh, for his life that he had fallen in love with Three's Company. 
and it he had already been so wonderful. I had said to him like a hundred times, you are such a gift. Thank you. What a delicious human being you are. So we already had this appreciation for each other that now was on the table. And Three's Company gave that opportunity for this sweetness between this young man in Panama who tried to show me how to use my computer, even though I failed. Um, but he was so patient. And so I was thinking, oh, my God, who is this fellow? Can he just live next door? I mean, what a darling. Human. <laughs> well, well, I am so glad that he was able to help you and uh, provide such a delicious moment. That's going to be my new word for this week. Everything's <laughs> going to be delicious in honor of Joyce DeWitt. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, Phoenix Sisters Cosplay, Kelly Gettner, has, has posted a comment saying, next year, we're doing Greenwich Mean Time to confuse everyone. So um, <laughs> there, there you go. Now... Joyce is joining us because this is the multiverse fundraiser to benefit the John Ritter Foundation for Aortic Health. And of course, Joyce had such a fantastic chemistry with John Ritter on Three's Company. Uh, before you came on, Joyce, I was commenting about how I was always amazed at the chemistry between Janet and Jack and how effortless the comedy seemed when you two were on screen together. Um, is that a real assessment? Did, did Is that your, how you felt as well? Was it as effortless as it seemed? Yes. Between John and I, it definitely was there. Um, occasionally in your life or years working as an actor, you will come upon or encounter another actor that I always say that John and I communicated kinesthetically. We did not have to say anything. Yeah. We could feel where the other person was going. And it was by the end of the first day, we already could feel that in each other. We just moved in cooperation one with the other. So there was, and in terms of trusting another actor, don't think I could have ever have trusted another actor more than John. There's a scene in one episode where Janet's like standing on the support of a boxing ring, you know, the poles in the four corners mm -hmm. and she's going to faint backwards. Like, you know, that, that cliche thing where you're perfectly straight and you just fall out of frame and Jack's going to catch her. And I never once look, and we're working on a cement floor and I never once glanced to see was John in position. I just went through the scene and when it came time, I just fell backwards knowing he would be there to catch me. That is how we trusted each other physically. It's like in a ski show where Janet teaches him to Jack to ski. Basically, the script says Jack teaches Janet. Janet teaches Jack to ski, and there's an empty page. So we just started. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's the physical humor on Three's Company. For the most part, that's exactly how it would be, and we would just make it up. And Jonathan couldn't help but make it up. I mean, it, he was so intuitively and instinctively drawn to physical humor that he couldn't help himself. If there was an opportunity to plug a piece of physical humor in, it was already falling out of him before he even knew it. He was just so enormously creative. And there was a part of John who the most important thing to him was the happiness and joy and heartfelt comfort in the other human beings. And so he was flowing with creating humor, particularly physical humor, all the time because that's what he wanted. He wanted to see other human hearts smile. And that was a great gift to be around someone like that. That's that's fantastic. Now, uh, we have this comment from Joss Richard, who says, Jack and Janet were perfect. So many of us fans wish they ended up together. And I had commented that before you joined us, Joyce, that um, I always thought Jack and Janet were such a perfect and obvious coupling and um had always wished that they had ended up together. Thank you, John. I think that's a very sweet comment and, and it's not one that I haven't heard before. Um, my honest reaction to that is I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think our producers made a very serious misjudgment when they spun Jack's, John's character off into um, his own show in the fact that it wasn't just Janet, in my opinion, it was all the characters. They underestimated the relationship with of all the other characters with the American audience and the intimacy and importance of that. 
So I think they just were dumber than boxes of rocks. I did not particularly like working for my producer. So that was an easy thing for me to say. In fact, that was a nice thing for me to say. Well, they that's absolute chauvinist. And it was a painful experience working for them. Um, in the middle of this gloriously delicious circumstance and the beauty of working with these other actors and our marvelous crew to have all that wonderment with the backdrop of working for these producers who I just to this day have the same feeling for because they were absolute chauvinists. And that's very hard on a very liberated young woman and a yeah. young artist as well. And and really that's the struggle between uh, the, the creative industry and the, uh, ivory tower suited up money men right well they, they, in many cases that is true but chauvinism is a separate sickness yeah it's not just power hungry they were all power mongers and chauvinists this just they just wore all the hats that i am allergic to being in the room with so it was they were a challenge but there was a there no matter what went on at three's company that might have been challenging one difficulties um uh, with the circumstance of the show or personally, individually, someone might have, you know, a deep family loss or some challenge, no matter what. On Friday nights, when we would shoot with live audience, curtain up, light the lights, Three's Company was never anything but absolute exquisite joy. Doing the show for the audience with my, com my comrades was never anything other than sheer ecstasy. So I want to transition on that thought because Joyce, you don't, I'm sure you don't remember this, but you, <laughs> you and I have met. Okay. Um, it was when you were in Nashville for a short period of time, mm -hmm. you had done the uh, Waffle House Christmas play. Uh-huh. And um, you were, you wonderful were, play. Yeah, it was great. And um, I was doing another show in that same theater, the Nashville dinner theater. Uh -huh. And I met you when you were giving notes to the cast of Rent um, and the uh, the owner of the dinner theater had you come up and watch my show that we were doing in the smaller theater. And afterwards, you were so complimentary and so kind. And all I could do to respond was act like a prepubescent fangirl. <laughs> I was just like, I'm sure you don't remember that, but it made a huge impact on me and validated me as a a performer and, and an actor and a producer. And well, uh, it meant a lot. Well, that's excellent because when it comes to the work, um, I can be overly frank. Um, it's very difficult for me to be diplomatic when I'm giving feedback about the work. So if I complimented you and supported you, you can know that it was genuinely true in my perspective and from the heart. So I'm grateful that you were able to take it in and it ended up being supportive. I mean, if we're not being supportive one to the other on this planet, what are we doing here? That That's right. And, and you mentioned, you know, doing Three's Company live in front of a studio audience. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, this is a piece of modern contemporary TV that a lot of audience, I miss as a, mm -hmm. as a viewer, um, you know, when that, that, that just you know that that voiceover said three's company is filmed in front of a live studio audience a lot of people don't know what that means but basically you were doing on stage performance yes. for a camera and and the the reactions of the audience there were no laugh tracks all of the reactions were honest and authentic and so i know that you after three's company you did other movies and TV, but you did a lot of live theater. Well, mostly I went back home to the theater. I started on the stage when I was 13. That is really my home. Right. Um, I did, I was not a comfortable person in Hollywood with all the fame and all that kind of silliness. And I, it was not a comfortable milieu for me. So I went back to the theater. You can have a much more private life working in the theater than you can in Hollywood. And that was more important to me than anything else was to have my life along with my work. And the theater is my home. It's the natural state. There is nowhere on earth that I'm more comfortable than doing the work of an actor on stage, not in a public circumstance, like giving a speech or something, but doing the work of the actor with an audience in. At Three's Company, 
We did shoot live, as did many shows at the time. All the MTM shows, Rhoda, Mary Tyler Moore, and so they shot live as well, but completely different. So you have the set, um, like the living room, of this, and you have the Regal Beagle, and maybe the bathroom or the bedroom, depending on what we need, lined up across the sound studio. And then you have the equipment, the sound guys and the camera guys in front of that, and on the other side of that, raised up, so that they can see over the camera. And so the cameras and the technical guys are the audience. And it's literally a real audience of about 300 sitting there. And most shows would do a scene, stop, break. The actors would go to their dressing rooms, change clothes, wardrobe for the next scene, come back, get touched up, makeup and hair, and go out and do the next scene. While a stand-up comedian would be entertaining the audience in the interim of maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. We would not do that. And we did, we shot so close to live, like a one act play that it's almost unbelievable. Um, you know what? I just saw that my battery on my computer is getting low. Um, I should get my, uh, um, the thing. In my, oh, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say I should go plug it in, but that would be kind of complicated because, okay, I better do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're just talking to an uh, electronic idiot. I mean, this is just so anyway. Um, we would shoot the, the show as much like a one act nonstop play so that because farce comedy, which is what we were doing, trying to do a contemporary version of a Fado farce, a 16th century French farce. And that is a very different animal than regular comedy. A French a farce comedy is like being shot out of a cannon at the top of the show and you don't stop until you're done because you can't let the audience sit back in their seat and think about what you're doing because it's so ridiculous. They have you have to keep them with you at this nonstop pace until it's over. And the classical traits of that are doors slamming, misconception, misunderstanding, people being confused for someone else and sexual innuendo. So that's what we were trying to do. Our director, Dave Powers, who was the best tape director in Hollywood at the time, he did all 13 years of Carol Burnett. She retired the show and we got him, thank God. Um, what he did with our technical crew, nobody else in Hollywood was doing. We'd be shooting a scene in the living room live. And the way this works is you have four cameras lined up in front of the set, but working in tape, which we did not film only one of those, even though the each camera operator is working constantly, only one camera is actually laying down a picture at a time. The director is in the booth bringing up which camera is laying down a picture. So he's literally shooting the show, editing the show and everything all at one moment. And he would break a camera. The cameras at that time were bigger than a wash machine. And there was a fellow with the cameraman carrying the cable that would be like maybe a 12 inch in diameter circle of cables wrapped in his arms. He would have to move behind wherever the camera went. He would have to go because they're like on wheels. And during the scene, Davey would bleed a camera gently, quietly, tiptoe. These wonderful crewmen would tiptoe down to the Regal Beagle set. And the sound guy up on a big platform with a boom, he would tiptoe down. They would move him down there ever so quietly. So when we finished the scene in the living room, Dave would pop the lights in the Regal Beagle and we would go on seamlessly like a one-act play, unless it was absolutely impossible if the actors in this scene had to be in there and there was a wardrobe change required. If we had to pause, we did. And if we did, we changed in quick change booths right off the set, just like you do in the theater. You do a 30 second wardrobe change, not a 15 minute one. So we did shoot it as much like a one act play as was humanly possible, which was essential for a farce comedy to stay. It's like dancing on eggshells. You got to stay out there dancing, tiptoeing. That that's phenomenal. I love that inside baseball. Do you think? And there's been some conversation over the last couple of days about Three's Company. Do you think you they could do that show today? Do you mean the same character relationships and the, the storyline? Character relationships, the storylines, the the innuendo. Well, classic farce is classic farce. If you did Tartuffe, you would be doing those same elements. Um, if you look back at the show of shows, doors slamming and the confusion of who is who, mistaking one person for another, that kind of unexpected, the unexpected is the strongest type circumstance to fire comedy, to fire humor, to get people to laugh at something 
is coming through the unexpected, those elements of classical farce will play forever, quite frankly. Confusing Mr. Furley for somebody else will play no matter who's doing it because there is that unexpected quality of the happening and what will happen now as a result of that. And that will keep that engages the audience where their hearts are already smiling a pinchy bit. And if their hearts are already smiling a pinchy bit, getting them to maybe laugh is like not is not terribly challenging. It's like following the flow of the river. We're all in this flow together. We accept the silliness of the circumstance and we're going to play together. That's what the audience for Three's Company gave us, such huge gift. They were willing to play with us. They would turn it on at nine o'clock and they knew that no matter how ridiculous this was, by 9.30, all would be well. So they would jump in the pool with us and start swimming straight away. And that really has so much to do with the success of Three's Company that the audience was willing to play with us. I love that. And you, <laughs> you also did, and Carl Witzman is commenting, um, that you played in Noises Off. It's another farce. It is a farce comedy. And when that is done well on stage, that play can lay you in the aisles. Yeah, it's amazing. What part did you play? Um, I played the housekeeper. I was, I've only done character roles two times in my life, two times in my life, and that was one of them. Um, I had to have like a fat suit and these big dowager boobs and all that stuff. And it was an interesting thing for somebody who zip zips around. I look much more the part now, certainly than when I did it. But that play is amazing to do. If it's, if you have a good director and a good cast, the audience will be just so happy that they came. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, what a great, great show. Yes. Um, Brilliant writing. So now we had a comment from one of our super fans who tunes in every weekend to our programming. Mm -hmm. And she wants to know, because I host a show called Back of the Cereal Box, and this, this fundraiser is hosted by the Cereal Box Network. So her question is, for Joyce DeWitt, you're 10 years old, Saturday morning, what's your favorite cereal and what are you watching on TV? Wowski, that is a long time ago to try and remember. Um, I remember every Saturday morning, my sister Ruthie and my brother Doug and I, in front of the TV, um, little kids on the floor with our, our necks arced back, looking up, sitting as close to the screen as we could until our parents discovered we were so close. Yep. Um, Sky King Ooh. would be on. Fury would be on. Golly, I wish my sister were here. She's so much better at this kind of thing. She would remember way more. But those were definitely two of our Saturday morning serial programs that we watched and loved. Mm, I don't think I'm going to come up with another one. Did I have a favorite? No. I fell in love with old movies very early on. My favorites, even as a little kid, um, were things that Spencer Tracy did and Clark Gable in particular. I had a terrible crush on Clark Gable when I was about eight. And then when I was about 13, that crush moved over to Peter O'Toole. And those are the only two actors I've ever been drawn to or had a crush on in my life. But they were pretty big crushes. Did, did you get to meet either of them? Um, no, I did not. And um, that is unfortunate, but I was actually just watching Peter O'Toole last night on a movie before I went to sleep. Not a movie that I like and an unusual role for him because it was a scary movie and I don't like scary movies. Um, I don't handle them well and they kind of, I, I have to shake them off. Um, and it's unusual for him to do that sort of thing, but it was later in his career. And, um, but, and I watched it because I wanted to visit with him. He was like, Oh, I want to have a little time with Peter. I'll, I'll watch this. And, he doesn't come on till well into the movie. And I started to fast forward going, where is my Peter O'Toole? <laughs> and enough with all this scary crap. And That's Ben Affleck is in fantastic. it. He's so young. It was very early in Ben Affleck's film career. He's so young in it. And Liev Shriver is in it. Um, but there was my darling Peter. I just, terrible crush on him. I mean, seriously, when you watch Lawrence of Arabia, he is so beautiful that it's hard to take your eyes off of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia was delicious? 
Yes, I would say he was scrumptioso, actually. <laughs> so the, se the second part of that question is, what's in the bowl of cereal on that Saturday morning? In the bowl of cereal on that Saturday morning? Well, it would have been Frosted Flakes or Rice Krispies in my house. Yep. Um, and I have a secret Rice Krispie recipe as an adult that I don't know how I created or stumbled on it. But honestly, if you're a Rice Krispie person, you have to try this because it's even it's unbelievably better than just the normal way of making a bowl of Rice Krispies. It sounds stupid that it would be better, but everybody I've introduced it to has been a believer. You put the Rice Krispies and the milk into a Tupperware with a lid and the sugar, and then you shake it like a martini. You shake, 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 wildly shake it. And then you pour it into the bowl and eat it. Once it's aerated like that, the whole thing takes on this much more delicious and scrumptioso flavor. Honest to golly, put the sugar, the milk, and the Rice Krispies in a Tupperware and shake it like you do a martini. But Joyce, yes, how much sugar? Well, that depends on your taste buds. I actually use stevia <laughs> as my sweetener, but for that circumstance, you have to break down, break your rules, and use um, real sugar because it's not going to be the same if you don't. Yeah. I yeah. would say at least two teaspoons. Okay. Minimum. Well, we're going to have to try that on our Saturday morning show, the Joyce Dewitt. Rice Krispies special. Yes, I'm telling you, it's you're, it's mind blowing how different it, how much it enhances the taste to do that. And the only thing I can figure is that it gets aerated by that, which ex, you know, aeration will expand everything, and it certainly expands flavor. So that's my guess as to why it tastes so good. That's awesome. Now we have some viewer comments, so okay. we're going to open this up to audience uh, comments. And um, I'm going back here, and um, there was a great comment that I want to address and uh, let you answer. Um, where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Um, oh, AB asks Joyce, will you ever consider writing, producing your own theater or Broadway show? I don't know. I've been asked to write a book for about 30 years, and I'm finally getting close to, I think, in this calendar year. I might actually do that. I, I don't have that discipline. Um, that's a very particular discipline that I don't have. And so I have been willing to procrastinate around that absurdly for such a very long time. I don't think I'm going to be able to procrastinate on it any longer. And that's a little depressing because this morning on CBS News Sunday morning, which is one of my very favorite programs in the world, I love it. Um, they did this segment where there's this new what do you call it? Something on a computer that can do things like a program, not a program, but a app or something. One, I don't know what the right term is, but there's a new one and it writes, it will write in prose. It will write poetically. It will yeah. write Shakespearean rhythm and canter and so forth. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, Joyce Ann, people might not think you actually wrote it. You waited too long. And I was like, mm, that can't be another excuse for procrastinating. You have to do it and see what happens. So well, I don't so know about writing. I'm not drawn to the idea of writing a play or a film script. Um, I don't think I'm naturally witty or clever. Um, I'm not a person who makes you laugh at dinner parties or, you know, whatever. But when it comes to knowing how to deliver, understanding without mentally involving, getting involved, how to deliver comedic material that's built into my body, but I'm not a naturally witty or humorous person. I, I understand that deeply. I'm the same way. Um, another question, and you kind of address this, but Ashley A asks, Joyce, have you ever considered writing a memoir or even just a book sharing the wisdom you've gained over the years? And you kind of address that, but a, a memoir, of yes, a memoir, absolutely not. Um, thank you, Ashley, for that's a, a, a lovely question. And, and people do ask that. But um, maybe if everybody I ever knew in my life had passed to the other side, maybe I would do a memoir to write about other human beings and their lives and their personal experience um, is a huge responsibility I have no desire to take on because everybody, every human being is wired differently. So their perspective and how they see circumstances and what happens is different. So for me to pretend that I could write a situation 
of an interaction with other human beings and fairly represent their perspective would be quite arrogant on my part and uncomfortable. I would not feel comfortable doing that. So a memoir, uh, no way, Jose. But <clears throat> um, the book that I have in mind to write, um, I suppose you could say it would stumble upon the shelves if it ever became a book um, in self-help or self-realization, that it would be a gathering together of teachings that I've come across and opportunities to learn and grow that I've stumbled on or been given that maybe I incorporated into my life, but for the most part, I'm awfully lazy and the incorporation has been minimal. So, but they were one thing, teachings I believed were of great value. So to share those and maybe somebody else would be better at incorporating them and using them in their life than I was. Maybe you need to uh, connect with a uh, a co-author, a, a ghostwriter of sorts. Yes, but that would I know, and um, and, and I reckon. I mean, I know it's done a lot, and but <clears throat> I'm pretty. Um, what is that? I'm trying to find the right word. Um, I like to say, well, I like to speak for myself, and I'm not good at letting. It's like. There have been times in negotiations over the years for different projects. Well, I will finally just say, let me talk to them because I know exactly what I think and what I mean. And I don't, it's a part of the whole paparazzi game of being in Hollywood that I so escaped from and just was so miserable with people putting words in my mouth that are not my words are really hard for me to take. If you ask me something, I will tell you the truth but I will tell you the truth as I experience it. Someone else painting a picture of it that it does not come from my heart or my head is really hard for me to tolerate. And that's how I kind of feel about writing a memoir. These other people may not feel about the situation the way I felt, and I'm the one with the pen in hand. So, no. I love that answer. That's a great, great answer. Uh, more, <laughs> more audience questions. Uh, from Willow Schuyler, she asks, Joyce, your voice is so youthful and full of life. Have you done any voice acting for cartoons or for uh, other voice acting uh, projects? No, I have not. And thank you for asking, because the truth is, I'd be delighted to do um, a voice in a cartoon. I mean, it's just the ability to just play that much um, is just so um seductive so i would love to do that hmm. but the truth is and people always say that my voice is very specific it's like if i'm standing in line at the movies to get popcorn or at the post office to you know mail something people in front of me i'll talk to a friend or maybe speak to someone else in line and the people in front of me with their back to me will turn around and go oh my god i knew it was you because i heard your voice and i'm like oh my voice sounds very normal to me un ununique um but people always say it is so there was a period of time. It was very brief. And that I um, did auditions for doing voiceovers, like in commercials and whatever. And nobody hired me. And because people have always said, oh, my God, your voice. Blah, 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 I thought I would that would be something that I would enjoy doing. But nobody asked me to do it. <laughs> That's funny because just in in that brief answer, all of a sudden it occurred to me that you sound a lot. Well, no, the character of Penelope from Wreck It Ralph sounds like Joyce DeWitt. Huh? And I I could have sworn when I saw that movie that it was you. And until I looked at the credits, I was like, man, they really went out of their way to make that that character sound like Janet. Um, you know, I don't know the movie, so I don't know the character. Um, but if they did, okay, cool, because I loved creating her, and I'm glad that people think of her. Um, she was pretty cool. I was in talking to this young man in Panama earlier today, who was trying to help me not fail at computer stuff with you guys, and for which I so apologize. Um, he had said that he had seen the show when he was in high school in Spanish, because that was, you know, his native tongue. And that's what, how they aired it in Panama. And I had said to him that the show was 
dubbed into Spanish. That was the first language it was dubbed into. It was in 33 countries at one point. So it was dubbed into basically all the languages one might think of in the larger mass audience areas. But Spanish was the first one. And I remember John and I went up to the office, to the um, conference room uh, to watch the first episode that had been dubbed and see how that was. And the woman who did me, this voiceover artist, I mean, oh my heavens, you know, I tend to make a lot of little sounds that aren't dialogue. I just, you know, there's all this little stuff <laughs> that just kind of comes out of me. And I've been allowed to, with Janet, I was allowed to do it, but it had so much to do with the thrust of her and the presentation of her. But this marvelous voiceover actress who put the program in, in Spanish, she got all of those sounds and she did them. So vocally, she was filling in that space that I was filling on camera because that takes up space and I'm on camera for that. She was marvelous. So that was my one experience in voiceover was I wasn't the one doing it. And it was really good. And that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> so another audience uh, question from Monica B. She asks, speaking of John Ritter, what would you say it was uh, the greatest gift or lesson that he brought into your life? Well, I would say the greatest gift would have, it's a tie between his friendship and the relationship that we had working together. It'd be pretty hard to pick one of those over the other because it's such a gift to work with such a gifted actor so well, so naturally, so kinesthetically. I mean, it's, rare in your life as an actor to come across that. And when you do, the gratitude that you have for it is so huge. And yet to know John and to know this wonderful human being and have him as a friend and be able to have that relationship, that would be very challenging to try and pick which one was more precious or a greater gift. And since you've asked that question, Monica, um, on the website for um, the Ritter Foundation, they, the last thing, I believe it's about the last thing on it, is a quote from John that, they, that Amy has put on there about his life intention. And I think it's a really, really wonderful time to read that because this will describe to you why he was such a gift to know and love. Jonathan says, I want to be remembered as just a guy who was interested in the golden thread of humanity that intertwines us all together. Now, isn't that precious and sweet? That's that's perfect. Yeah. And that's so, John. So there you have it. It's tough to decide which was the greater gift, his friendship or his fellow acting skills. I don't know. Now, he always called you by a nickname. He called you Baby. Yes. Did you have a nickname for him or did you just call him Jonathan? Most of the time, Jonathan. Um, I like saying the long, elaborate versions of names. And that really is his name. Jonathan Southworth Ritter. So that really is his name. But I like if somebody's name is Tom, I enjoy calling him Thomas. Or if his name is Nick, I love calling him Nicholas. I just I love language and the beauty of it and the magic of it and the music of it. And you, there's not much music in Nick, but there's a lot of music in Nicholas. And so I enjoy. So Jonathan, I would call him, but he did call me baby. It was a hoot. He'd go, baby, you're just too serious. Stop it. <laughs> so, yeah. And Richard Klein, he would always call me princess and I would call him witchy. And to this day, we'll run into each other in a public place and he'll go princess and I'll go witchy. <laughs> and we will embarrass the hell out of ourselves in that moment. But it sticks. He's that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, so, good friends. I was I was reading uh, an article about um, your last night with John Ritter. In, yes. Was it in New York? It was in New York. It was magical. And given my complaint earlier about the paparazzi and running and hiding from their horror, um, they gave me a, the gift of that last night with John. I was staying in a hotel on Central Park South, and ABC had all of the stars of its series, television series, in a hotel on Central Park South housing them during the weekend that they were doing all the upfronts for the new season. Upfronts are where they go in, they do all these interviews um, for supporting the fact that the new season is beginning and their show. 
and so he they were staying down the street from the hotel that I was in. I, I don't remember why I was in New York, but I was in New York. And I needed, I had a little Walkman. Most of your audience probably don't even know what that is. Oh, I, our audience knows. Oh, good. Because I would travel with little meditation tapes and stuff. And my little Walkman died. And so I needed batteries. So I walked out of the hotel and I stood there between 5th and 6th and Avenue of the Americas. And I was like, which one am I going to come to batteries sooner? And I remembered that on 5th Avenue, there was one of those electronic stores, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. not too far down. And I thought, okay, I'll go over to fifth, which caused me to walk in front of John's hotel. Well, out of the hotel that he was in, there's a whole team of paparazzi filling the w- sidewalk. That sidewalk there is four or five feet, six feet deep. And so I went into the street to walk around them. And I'm just in my sweats and my tennis shoes and, you know, and one of them recognized me and then go the cameras and there's all that silliness and but and I'm moving as quickly as I can, but not being trying not to be rude, but moving on as best I can. After I get about six or eight feet away from them, one of them said, you know, John's inside. And I was like, what? And he said, John's in the hotel. And I said, oh, no, I didn't. Thanks. So I kept walking and I thought, Joyce Ann, that's a message. Don't go ignoring it. So I turned around and went back to my hotel. And called his hotel and call and asked to be connected to his room. Got his voicemail and left a message. I said, Jonathan, I don't know what you're up to. It's I know why you're here, so it's probably a really busy time. I'm here too, in case it works to get together. Give me a call. So <clears throat> then I'm in my room trying to decide now what to do, and I thought I'm going to go to the movies. So I look at what movie schedule to go to, and I pick a movie, and I change into something a little warmer so I can walk up to Lincoln Center and see my movie. And just literally as I reached for the doorknob to leave the hotel room to walk up to see the movie, my phone rang and it was Jonathan. And he goes, baby, we got five dinners to go to and a party. And I'm like, okay. Um, He goes, I'll I'll be by for you at seven. And I said, what's the dress code? And he said, nice, but casual. I said, okay. So that was it. At seven o'clock, he came and got me with his dear friend and representative at the time, Bobby Myman, who was a great friend for many years as well for, to both of us, but particularly to John, they'd known each other forever. And the three of us went to these different events that he had to go to that were on the schedule of his having to make an appearance and then ended up at this little Italian restaurant in the village um, late, late, late at night for a late, late supper and just had spent, already like five or six hours together. And the, by the time we finished the day, it was four in the morning. It was marvelous. We just had all this time together. And it was so sweet because Bobby Myman had been with John as his representative and agent lawyer from the very beginning. So I met Bobby like a day after I met John. We were children together and grew up in this business together. And that we spent all of these hours together. We couldn't help but reminisce. We'd be sitting there at something and one or the other of us would reach over and grab the knee of the other one. Like we suddenly had this remembrance. So we had a great deal of life review of the time shared and the happiness of it in that night. That would never have happened without that person from the paparazzi. That's, that's such a beautiful story. I, it I was, love that. Oh, it was more, even better, better, better. <clears throat> the restaurant was next to a little tiny fire station in the village. And it was a warm night, even though I was going to bundle up for the movies because I always get cold in the movies. But um, so the, the firemen were out on the sidewalk, um, you know, getting fresher air. And because, um, you know, those things in New York City can be pretty small. Mm-hmm. Even the little fire stations can be pretty tiny. And when we got out of the limo, the firemen all like looked over like, who is that? You know, what's that? You know, and they waved and we waved and. We started to go into the restaurant and we told everybody who was with us, you go ahead and we'll be in in a minute. So we went over and visited with the fire guys. And it was such a wonderful moment to watch them talking to John, being happy to meet him, getting and John trying to entertain and be humorous for them. And the play between these gentlemen was adorable to watch. It was like one more icing on the cake that night to see how everyday Americans appreciated this man and how much he appreciated that they did and watched that exchange. It was lovely. That, that, that's fantastic. Well, we, we can't uh, keep you all night. We could uh, 
post uh, audience questions all night long, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the uh, show. I'm going to leave you with this one question. And this comes from uh, Giovanna. Of course she says, hi, Joyce, lots of big fans here. And by the way, Joyce DeWitt, we are right now um, at the highest viewership during the weekend that we've been with you here on with us. So that's, phenomenal i know and isn't it terrible that i'm i'm not on camera look at i feel i do apologize to that's okay. everyone and that's i also okay. apologize for being late and truly it wasn't because i wasn't absolutely tuned in and committed to what i thought i was supposed to do but it was two hours different than i thought that, that's okay you don't need to apologize but a lot of big fans here and uh giovanna asks what's your favorite jack and janet moment on three's company Oh, my land. There are so many. And um, anytime John and I were doing physical humor together, it would be pure joy. There's one where we're on the couch and we think that Chrissy has been kidnapped. And the two characters are talking about that. And, and Jack makes a joke about it. And Janet grabs a pillow and slugs him in the gut with the pillow. I love that moment. Don't ask me why. I think it's because it was such a joy to do it with John. There are moments where doing things with him, we're watching Jonathan. You you couldn't help but notice what he was doing, what the actor was doing, which is not a good thing as an actor to fall out of character and the reality of the character into the reality of the actor when you observe another actor. But with Jonathan and Don Knotts equally, it was very difficult at times not to be aware of what they were doing because it was so damn good. So that moment, I don't even know how to tell you other than John <laughs> delivering this line so innocently and it was such an inappropriate thing for his to say and to Janet just to whack him for it. It was just, I love that moment. And also to another one that I think so many people have mentioned to me that it must not just be my favorite or on my top list was the ballet where <clears throat> Janet um, is in a ballet class and her ballet teacher ends up leading her on. And John Jack comes to the studio to help rescue her heart because he knows that she's finding out that she's been led on by this fellow and her heart's going to be broken. And the sweetness of that moment as the two of them dance, as the that episode goes out is a delicious moment. I remember that. I remember that episode and absolutely it is one of my all-time favorites. Well, Joyce DeWitt, you have been a true, true delight. And there are many, many more audience questions and comments that we just don't have time to get to. Uh, so I apologize to everyone in the audience who asked a question. They are posted on the live feed and um, uh, we'll uh, answer or address them uh, if possible. And Joyce, if if you're on social media and you want to address some of those questions offline, that would be fantastic. Well, I just have to stop you right there, John, because I don't do any sort of social media. So that's okay. I apologize to the people who have asked questions that we haven't gotten to. I would happily answer them if they're, but it is not something that I do. Um, I'm not comfortable. That's with okay. It, so I don't do it. No explanation needed. Um, but we are going to thank you so much for being with us and, and for joining us on this uh, fantastic journey to benefit the John Ritter Foundation for Aortic Health. And um, is, is there anything coming up for Joyce DeWitt that you want our audience to know? No, actually, um, I had a, um, a fell, a tripped and fell and broke my arm in four places. So I pretty much have cleared my schedule um, because of being a one-armed bandit, more or less. And what a learning curve that is. Talk about lessons in compassion for those who are a little more challenged physically from somebody who ordinarily doesn't even think twice about it. What a huge learning curve this has been. So not until the summer. Um, All right. We, we've cleared my schedule till then so that I have time to regain <laughs> all the parts of me that kind of got lost in the shuffle for a while. Well, we all love you. We all appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, with that, uh, I'm going to roll our uh, our uh, video. 
about the John Ritter Foundation. And as I do, we will be switching over to the next panel, which is a fanfic panel, which, uh, Joyce, yes. there may be some fan fiction writers in the panel that have written uh, Jack and Janet fan fiction where they end up together. Um, but uh, <laughs> with that, thank you once again, Joyce, and have a great, great rest of the evening. Thank you, John, and thank you to your audience, um, and thank you for everybody who tuned in. Please do take a look at the Ritter Foundation website. This is a very sensitive circumstance that is rarely diagnosed properly in time to save the life of the person. So it's important information. Take a look at it, and if you've got an extra five or ten, um, make a donation. The foundation could use it, and they use it well. They use it with great consciousness and intention. So if you have the opportunity and you have a little extra, if you're not buying gas or food this week, you might have a little extra. If you're buying <laughs> gas or food this week, never, never mind. I understand. Well, that's a perfect segue. So everyone, take a look at this. Our charity partner for this year's Multiverse Fundraiser is the John Ritter Foundation for Aortic Health. They exist to spread awareness of aortic health and prevent unnecessary suffering through genetic research, widespread education, and radical advocacy. Simply click on the link at our website, www.themultiversefundraiser.com, that says Donate Here, and that will take you to our Just Giving link. All donations go directly to the John Ritter Foundation for Aortic Health. As a bonus, every $10 donation that you give enters you into our sweepstakes to win fantastic prizes. All information can be found at our website under giveaway. So thank you for watching and thank you for supporting. That's going to do it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, connect with us at backofthecerealbox.fun. You can leave us a voice message. We'll play it on air. You can leave us an email if you want to go old school, and you can become a contributor at Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon right there at back of the cereal box dot fun. And of course, if you love this episode, share it. Tell two, three hundred of your closest friends and family to come share the fun. And until the next time, love you, mean it. We'll catch you on the back of the cereal box.